Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your co-host, Stephen Spector. And with me, as usual, is Rob Hirschfeld. Good day, Rob. Hello, Stephen. How are you? So one of the things, Rob, I love to do is make fun of the weather because, uh, you know, Austin and Boise, I like to compare. But I saw that you guys had a snowpocalypse this Our week. A blizzard. A blizzard yeah. hit Austin, I noticed. <laughs> and uh, are you uh, surviving? Did you? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. We, the blizzards can actually be very serious uh, weather events. For Austin, that means that we had uh, snow that actually fell from the sky, and then it did actually stick on the grass. Um, did they close schools? Hour. Was there a run on we did, uh, grocery we did not, stores? We, we did not. We'd have, we, like usual, our, our snow was uh, safely bracketed by 70-degree days, so... <laughs> okay, I was no, concerned no, no for Austin. Hazard from that perspective. One thing about the snow um, is that it was it was huge flakes and it was full of dirt. So now covered with dirt. Well, that's oh, that's quite that's, gross. That's, well, I'm not used to that. Yeah. So I'm really excited. We have uh, the VP of Engineering, Sander uh, Bogert. Sander, did I say that your last name correct? I always screw that up. No, it's it's good. <laughs> it's good. Uh, I'm, yeah. See, Rob, I'm getting better with names, which after two and, and a half years practice. of this practice, yeah. that's what it is. Well, Sander, welcome to uh, the podcast. If you can give us just a little quick background about yourself and um, you know, kind of quickly what Guard Square does, and then we will jump into a variety of uh, discussions. Okay, thanks. Um, so, as you said, I'm currently VP of Engineering at GuardSquare, but um, I started five years ago at the company, actually as as a first employee. <laughs> so, first desk was uh, the, the CTO's kitchen table, and then moved to several offices, <laughs> and uh, now I'm VP of Engineering. Um, so, what we do at GuardSquare is we, uh, we protect mobile applications um, against different threats. Um, for example, reverse engineering or uh, runtime tampering, uh, so those kind of things. So we, we build tools basically that allow mobile app developers to better protect their applications. Interesting. And so mobile app mobile app development usually involves some type of you know walled garden, you know, like Apple Apple vetting process or you know Google Android vetting process. Is this something that would happen as like a pre-event for that? Actually, maybe, maybe we should step back. When somebody's writing an application, can you describe the steps that an application developer needs to go through to get something into a marketplace? What's what's that look like? So you mean without using our tools, right? So do your tools help bypass that process or create a, a, an, an alternate uh, avenue to get into get an a, uh, application into devices uh, hands or no no, no 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 not at all so well, we so when you create a mobile application of course you're writing a bunch of code then you invoke a compiler to produce a binary an executable file you pack it together with a bunch of assets and resources and then you ship it off uh, as you said to one of the app stores so it could be apple's app store or google play store so what changes in this process if you use our tools is really only the compiler basically so 
it depends. It's different between the two platforms. Uh, but for Android, for example, we, we are part of the build process. So in the typical build process, you have multiple tools. You have uh, maybe you have a linter, then uh, you have compiler, you have a linker uh, and some other tools. So we add one in there. Um, and then on the on the iOS side, uh, we, we have a tool that post processes your application. So you go through the entire flow as usual. But in the end, before you upload your IPA package, which which is the the, the the Apple app format, basically, you also run our tool on it. And then the result, that's what you will upload to Apple. So that's what the integration would look like. Makes sense. And and there's been, you know, I think going all the way from Jeff Bezos's phone down, a, you know, fairly high... Uh, awareness, I would hope, of the need for applications to be secured. Um, you know, the you know we're getting these the apps from these these through this process. So there's there's supposedly some vetting. How how are you extending what goes on in that vetting process in a way that people should be should be thinking about? So it really depends on your threat model, I would say. So what Apple and Google are mostly concerned about, not, not entirely, of course, but mostly is the end user's protection. So they want people using Android phones or Apple phones to be safe. So not to have their data stolen, uh, like the event that you described, or not to be compromised in any other way. But we approach it a bit from a different angle. Um, the tools that we're building, um, they, they're made to protect the app developers, basically. So when you write an application, there is a bunch of stuff that you don't want happening. So one of the most obvious things would be piracy, for example. Uh, you have a whole bunch of in-app purchases. Um, of course, you want people to actually pay for them. <laughs> Um, let's say you create games, you don't want cheaters, um, but also banks, uh, a lot of our customers are financial institutions. Um, there's always things in the app that you, you rather keep hidden. So there is API keys. Um, there is, if you reverse the apps, you can basically deduce the, the, the API interface of the backends and people can build third party services or find vulnerabilities in there, those kind of threats. So really any, any app dealing with, for example, in game, uh, in, in app purchases or, uh, private data or anything like that, they have, they have something to hide or they have something to protect in the app. And that's where we come in. So. Um, we're mostly concerned with the app developers use cases and less uh, with end users use cases. But of course, the, our customers, uh, they, they care about their end users. And so that's a reason for them to use our software too, of course. This, this makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, when, when you're writing an application, right, you're very focused on getting the data from your backend, you know, building, building all those bits and pieces. And yeah, the, the, the sandbox, you're right about the sandboxing from a, the vendor's perspective, the phone vendor's perspective or the OS, the mobile OS's perspective is about protecting the phone from the app, not the app from the user. Um, this makes me think back to the, you know, the days when we had a lot of applications installed on your PC. And, um, you know, while we, we have a lot of protections for that, so you can reverse engineer an application and, and steal data or look at the APIs or things like that. 
um, is, I mean, and, and I guess I think about, you, you mentioned the banking apps, you know, from the banking apps perspective, you're really sending a lot of data to their back end. Um, if you were able to watch the network traffic, you could figure out quite a bit from those, that information. Yes, that's, that's correct. And even if, because what sometimes comes up is, for example, um, a lot of the security sensitive things are done on the back end. And to a certain extent, you could argue that's true. But really, these, these, are, these, these institutions, they, they can't afford anything on this side. So they have to work from a, like a zero trust angle. So the, the, the back end shouldn't trust the client and probably the other way around neither. So that's why we come in, we, we make sure that we deal with the client side and, and, and that it's really hard to reverse or make a, or, or clone this application, put some malware in, put it on a third party app store or anything like that is what we try to protect people against. Makes sense. So that sounds like, you know, code obfuscation, um, but I'm, I'm assuming there's, there's more to it. What does it look like to make an application, you know, secure in those environments so there's different aspects to this um one of one of the most visible or the most visible ones would be what, what we call uh environment integrity basically so i'm i'm an app developer i put an app out there and i want to make sure that it's running on an untempered environment. So, which means the device isn't jailbroken. Um, if I call a library, if I call a function in a system library, this is actually the real function and no one replaced it with, with another one. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, okay. So, so part of the way people are attacking these devices is they are basically creating compromised devices, letting your application run, and then seeing what it, what it does from that perspective. Oh, that's devious. Okay. Yeah, that, so that would be one of the approaches, but it can leave the environment intact and they can just tamper with your application, for example. And all of this is is dynamic, it's runtime stuff. Um, but in order to get there and to get an understanding of what the application does on a on a low level, you also had to reverse it. And then that's where what you mentioned, where obfuscation comes in to make sure that the effort required to understand what's going on is as high as possible and preferably that you have to start all over again when there is an update for this application. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, what uh, my, my head's exploding because you're, you're, you're highlighting the zero trust thing and there, there, there's a whole conversation. I'm not going to try and pull us down too far into, into zero trust, but I, I, you know, this idea that something like the identity you know, the finger lock imprint or the face unlock of the phone that says, Hey, this is the trusted user somebody could download the app you wrote into a, into an environment where all that's been stubbed out and faked and you could start interacting with the system, assuming, yes, this is a trusted identity and the system calls are returning, you know, in, incorrect affirmation. Um, that's, that's a serious, those are, those are fundamental things. It'd be like having a op, an operating system that was fundamentally compromised in a data center. Um, yeah. Very hard to guard against those things, and so so how do you how do you know that that the phone has not been compromised in that way? <laughs> that's a that's a fine line, of course, because if I yeah. if I give you too many details, uh... <laughs> <laughs> then it's okay to say we do we know we have 
Rob, right. we are not yeah. looking to uh, start a competitive <laughs> company here. That was not part of the agreement. Well, we're not. There's no, no secrets have to be shared. Yeah. For, for friendly, so, friendly, shareable data. So, but I'm, go uh, ahead. Yeah. So, I, is is there some magic sauce? Um, for some stuff, there is, I guess. Um, but it also a lot of it comes down to the combination of different different techniques. So um, if you Google for, for example, root detection, you'll find, I'm sure, at least 50 or 100 libraries that will do it for you. But then you just have this small piece. Uh, first of all, it's tiresome to keep it up to date because <laughs> the, the other side also doesn't sit still, for example. And, and then again, if you just have this thing, then okay, you have a function that says this device is rooted, but who says that this function isn't been hasn't been tampered with to begin with. So it's really, you need a whole bunch of techniques um, to to provide the full circle, so to say, and only when you make sure that you cover all the, all the edge cases, you could reasonably guarantee that this, for example, is an untampered device. And then I, that's what I touched on before, but this will be reversed. No one will ever be able to promise that this is impossible, that it cannot happen. The only thing that someone can say is it's going to take you so much effort that no one is going to try anymore. And then it comes down to, and if they put in the effort, make sure that the next update of the app, everything looks completely different and they have to start over again. So it's a combination of a lot of different things. Is of course, not just one single check that magically is better than all everything someone else can do it's it's really being able to do the whole whole circle being able to actually be the compiler which gives you a lot of flexibility um seeing we have a, a ton of customers so we we see everything that's out there so based on that i think we really well positioned to write the best possible checks and techniques out there so it's a combination it, you're making me think about on the on the compute server side, there's something called Trusted Platform, TPM, um, which is basically a way that applications or operating systems can sign um, their their kernel so that they can you know say that they're, they're test trusted. Um, it doesn't sound like there's quite the same thing from an OS from a, from an operating from a phone OS perspective. No, there there is actually, <laughs> but oh, okay. it only it only lasts for for a bit and then it's cracked. So uh, I I don't uh, know how how closely you follow these scenes, but um, like iOS devices these days, there there is a a certain vulnerability in the boot realm, which means that every iPhone up to I think the X will forever be compromised. So whatever iOS wow. version Apple puts on it, it will be. Uh, it will be compromised. So there, there is signing and there is a trusted boot system. It's just, it only lasts for a while. I, it's the, and this is the, the difference in volume between phones and every other technology platform or mobile devices and every other technology platform. It's the number of devices in circulation is exponentially more um, and their life is shorter. So they're, they're recycling through. So are the, is this something that like an individual user would worry about? Like, do I have to worry that if, you know, I lose control of my phone for an hour, somebody's going to root it and then and change it and I download an app that would would compromise 
the the integrity of the operating system, or is this something that you have to you know, intentionally uh, jailbreak a phone to do? Well, you always have to intentionally do it, but as you said, if you lose track of your phone for an hour, it's really not that hard these days to get it uh, rooted or jailbroken. Um, on iOS, you and then on, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure because and the Android platform is there's so many different devices, but for the iOS platform, you just really visit a certain website, your device is jailbroken, <laughs> that's it. Um, not for every version, of course, but and then if you really leave it out there for an hour, someone just plugs it in, um, uses this bootroom exploit, and again, it's 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 rooted for forever. So, well, this particular one until the next reboot. But what I'm saying is, there is so much out there that it's really not hard to do anymore. Like really, anyone could do it. Wow, I this is I, I love this conversation because there's aspects of the security and you know this is where zero trust to me people need to be thinking about what that means um you know on, on the podcast we talk about edge infrastructure quite a bit where you have devices that are going to be in you know untrusted environments uh exposed to the environment very similar use cases to what you're describing um i want to i want to pivot a little bit though um you know, if, if there's more, I'm happy to keep going down this this path. But I was I want to talk a little bit about sort of just classic, you know, what a what a pipeline would look like for you. Do you have best practices that you would recommend for people who are looking to build secure applications on devices? Um, best practices. So it all starts, but this is a I, I'm sure everyone heard this before. It it really starts as soon as you start developing your application. So um, it's about everything that you do, the architecture, the the libraries that you choose. Um, you have to want to make sure that, of course, those are up to date and they don't have known vulnerabilities. Um, API design, uh, all of it. So you have to start as soon as you start developing your application. Um, and also this has to be right and correct uh, only then it makes sense to use tools like ours to mm. to improve things on top of that so you, you can't put the the horse back in the barn right that makes sense <laughs> yes it exactly. has to be a securely a well-designed application in order to take advantage of this is there a series of open source components i know that you all maintain a some open source technology um are there's there's tools or things that, that you think are really important for people to be aware of um well, so the, the whole company, Garsquare, actually started in open source. So um, our CTO, Eric, years ago, I don't know exactly how many years, but he started um, the Java optimizer, which is quite well known. It's called ProGuard. Um, so the idea is to make Java bytecode smaller and faster. Um, and eventually, so it was picked up by a lot of companies. Uh, eventually, it was also put in the Google SDK by, uh, sorry, in the Android SDK by Google. Um, and that's where it all started for us. So we, we really, we're really a company that started in open source and we still build on it. So the native tools that we're building, um, they, they build on top of LLVM, which is a very, popular, well-known compiler framework. Um, but these, both these tools that I mentioned, they, they don't really have a place in a 
typical app developers uh, view. So I'm not I'm not aware of there are libraries. There is always libraries with checks for these kind of things that are open source, but I'm not aware of any open source alternatives for our tools. Well, not on the same not on the same level. There is some stuff on GitHub, but as I said before, you need to cover a lot of cases to do this well, and it just I don't it requires a lot of effort. So, and and I and one of the things I we we don't want to do on the show is is imply that things should be open source when they are maintained. Where I'm actually much more interested in exploring, you know, how people add value and work within a market where some of the things that they build or maintain are open and then they're adding value and the model that they have to protect that value or, you know, basically sustain it. It's, it, it really ends up being about sustaining. Because um, what you're describing is an incredibly fluid uh, attack surface. And this isn't, this isn't something that you want to just pull a random library off the internet and hope that it's been maintained. Sounds like, you know, hour by hour, uh, the, you know, the, the libraries that you're depending on to protect your application could be, uh, need to be updated and changed. Yeah. So I have to be honest, uh, as an engineer, my first, my first approach is always, or at least it used to be, let's build it ourselves. Um, but in this particular case, it should, it just requires so much effort, as you said, to stay, stay on top of things that it doesn't make sense. Uh, we have a big team of, of engineers working on this, uh, tracking what's going on out there every day and making sure that our tools deal with this. So it's, it's really something that you wouldn't want to do yourself. It's interesting. One of the things about it too, and that you mentioned is right. You have customers, customers are coming to you with threats. It's, it's not just, you know, your team sitting in a lab looking at things you're, I'm assuming you're, you're getting, you know, data based on the real world experience of, of apps that are in, in field. How does, how does that process usually work for you? So our input comes, I would say I'm very lucky to work with um, people that are just really motivated. So a lot of them, <laughs> it's, it's their hobby anyway. So um, the only thing is now they can act on on everything that they read and they can they can play with it and, and, and do something with the information. So there is a lot of that. But as you said, we have, I think we have about seven, seven like anyway, we have a lot of customers and they <laughs> <laughs> And uh, those, they go to pen testers and pen, and they they forward us the reports sometimes, or they they had some breaches or issues, and they'll tell us about them. Um, and then, as you said, we 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 go in, we we check what we can do, what happened, what should be improved. Uh, it, it's the main resource uh, for new features, or at least for the technical ones. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know if this answers your question. Uh, no, I, I, you're you're answering it, and this this to me is something that is is important to think about from the commercial aspect of software and even commercial aspect of open source. It's your customer interactions are you know are your are your 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 inputs 
from that perspective, right? You, you, I mean, you're cut. It, the, the, I don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot, um, but I also want to acknowledge reality, right? If you're helping customers um, protect applications, those applications are being attacked. <laughs> period. Mm-hmm. And you're going to collect data as those attacks happen, um, either when you know something you know there's there's a vulnerability discovered, something new happens. If your customer does have something, something goes on. Do you get to be included in their postmortems and, and learn what learn what happened? For some of them, yes, but there's always uh, it's a, it can be a bit embarrassing too. So or, or maybe yeah. they don't want to share all the details. So I'm not saying they were involved in every of these situations, but for some of them, definitely. And also, uh, even for new customers, it's it's often the reason that they come to us to begin with. So they'll they'll be like, yeah, something happened, uh, and and that's where. That, that's why we need your product, right? And this, this to me is one of the dilemmas of security: is that we have a tendency, um, for good reasons, um, to to you know sort of want to keep that in the dark, and yet the only cure for you know security issues is a degree of transparency and knowledge. So your your relationships, your your fielding product is actually gives you visibility that uh you know an individual person working on a mobile app wouldn't get is that a fair statement yes it is um and it would be interesting to share some of it here but it's also we it's it's a constant race you know we try to maintain our edge and and learn from what happened so these are the things that you can share after a while and it's no longer too important that the details are out there, for example. Right. No, but in some cases, the details getting out there is something that that's important. I, this, this is, this is a dilemma to me when we, when we talk about open source and security and, you know, for people listening, uh, I know, you know, projects struggle with this and it's important, right? They, they need security analysis and they need reviews of the code themselves. Um, it's really hard to get people who are using your software having vulnerabilities, you know, being discovered in the field and using it. It, it might not be the, the components that you added, right? In your case, you're not, you're not necessarily at fault at any, in any of these pieces. You're responding to the environment you're in or the application that was developed. Um, you just need the, you just need to know what's going on. Yeah, so that, that's a bit of a nuance that's important. We're not the ones that are going to protect you against uh, people exploiting, I don't know, buffer overflow or something like that. Um, that's what I was saying before. So all of this has to be done well mm-hmm. as a first step. And then then afterwards is where we come in and, and we make sure that all the other things are covered too that people don't even have inside in your app to figure out if something is wrong or that that you can trust the the code that you've written is actually what's being executed eventually uh, those kind of things that's a really big deal that zero trust aspect of the environment that you're in do you do you help customers you know sort of sit down from an architectural perspective and and give them broader advice from that that perspective <laughs> Not on a not on a structure, like no, not 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 really. <laughs> so so so, but, so all right. So this this might be a safe place. Is there some you know 
two or three pieces of advice for somebody writing an application before it gets to you that you're just like, please, I wish you would. What, what would you tell people to do that would that would make your job easier? Um, that's a tough question. Sure. Uh, so we we do see, as I said, some pen test reports and things that are in there. And I think it often comes down to use the right people for the right job. So security is a complex thing. You don't want, mm -hmm. like, it's completely understandable that not every developer on your team is, is able to do it correctly. And so if if you as a company have this expectation i think that's where it goes wrong a lot of times so i think i don't really have I, the most interesting insight wouldn't be sends a, a couple of pieces of advice for developers but maybe more for management of companies that they need to train their people um or if they don't then the security side of things should be should be done by another team or, or they need to get some help doing it but not just assume that the people they have are the right people for the job that makes a lot of sense do you do you feel like uh there's a hubris component for this do do people have a tendency to think they 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 got security and then just walk by an obvious flaw how do you how do you overcome your own confidence well, I, I think as an engineer, I'm allowed to say this. I, it's a problem that a lot of us have. Um, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't claiming to be innocent on that charge. Yes. Yeah. It's just, what, do you, what do you do? You see yeah. something and you think, "Well, I can do that too," but you don't have the same insight, and you don't know all the edge cases, and you don't know what's what's really necessary and what isn't. So. Um, yeah, some stuff you just have to accept the fact. Uh, for some stuff, you just have to accept the fact that, that you need other people to do it well. Um, for for example, when like when I joined the company, as I said, it was uh, quite early on. I started the product for the iOS platform, um, but at that time, you already had a lot of big customers. And so I was there uh, <laughs> with a small team developing this thing and going to very big customers really early on. Um, and that has been a, a good lesson in the fact that even if you think you covered all, all your bases and you have all the edge cases, it's never the case. So, um, yeah. That is always the truth I, I, one of the things that makes me a little sad in industry is we have a tendency to underestimate the the quality of the teams we we sort of assume big enterprises um are slow and not as adept as a small startup um and i find that in enterprise we have incredibly smart people um taking being careful about the work they do um and so, yeah, you're right. You have to be open to them. Them, they're gonna, they're gonna tell you a lot too from that perspective. I'm assuming. Yeah, I saw some very big banks with huge teams that worked in a very agile and an inspiring way. So I, I don't think it's necessarily company size or, or anything like that that would make the difference. Yeah, I, I think that's a there's a trope in the industry about that that I 
I, it makes me sad when I see it because it's not, it's, that's not, it's not a fair characterization. Mm-hmm. All right, oh, Rob, cool. I'm coming in. Uh, ringing the, the <laughs> on the bell. downside, on the down note. Oh, well. You knew I was coming in. Well, um, Sandra, this has been uh, really interesting. It's all new area for me I never thought about, so I learned a great deal. Um, if the listeners want to learn more about uh, Guard Square uh, or, you know, where you guys are coming in the future, uh, any um, places we should send them? Oh, well, I guess to our website. Uh, we also have a Twitter account, um, so any of those would, would be fine. Any, uh, are there any events upcoming that your team is going to be at that uh, you know, people might want to go and see you guys in person? Well, we'll be at RSA, um, but I, I'm not up to date on the, any other events on the, on the calendar there. So, but I'm sure they will be published timely uh, on our website. Okay. And I also noticed that I was going to call out one of the things you guys do I like is you have two blogs. You have a company blog. And you have an engineering blog. And uh, that is not something I see a lot of, but I can tell you what, I think that makes great sense. And uh, that is something I'm going to uh, think about in the future. I, I, I really I really like that idea. So while you guys have been going through stuff, I've been peeking at your different blogs. So I encourage our listeners to, uh, if they want to learn more, and it's uh, guardsquare.com. And, uh, Sander, thank you again for joining. Uh, Thank you uh, again, Sander and Rob, for uh, today's discussion. We'll talk again soon.